King and you're listening to Thinking Off Piste, a podcast for adventurers. We share inspiring stories from professional mountaineers, skiers, boarders, bikers, climbers and hikers who have gone against the grain, abandoned their comfort zone and found success through their dare to be different attitude. Thinking Off Piste is brought to you by Maybe Ski, a Whistler-based adventure ski company creating bucketless ski trips across the globe. If you're looking to get off the beaten track and away from the crowds, head over to maybeski.com to discover what lies beyond your lift pass. Today I'm going to be talking with an ex-professional snowboarder turned endurance athlete and performance enhancement coach, Christian Manetta. Christian is no stranger to pushing his limits and living outside of his body's comfort zone. He is a sub nine hour age group champion at Ironman. He's also the founder of a coaching company for endurance athletes called Endurance Specific and the creator of the Endurance Specific podcast. How many triathlons have you completed? Have you lost count or do you roughly know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Fair enough. I don't know. It, it was a lot. There's a lot of Ironmans, you know, in, in the high teens in Ironmans, not quite as many as my wife. And, um, but, but, you know, that was always, a, that was a journey. You know, I didn't, I wasn't, I was definitely not like, I got, my wife humbled me for many years, <laughs> and um, which was awesome. And, uh, you know, she's, she's a great athlete and, um, but it definitely made me level up and I had big goals and I wanted to get to, to Kona and I had to really commit and do things and change things and, and, and essentially be obsessed with it. And I ended up, you know, surpassing where I thought I would be and, you know, how fast I would go or what I could do. Can you quickly break down for me what sort of constitutes an Ironman challenge? Um, What's the distance involved? So it's uh, metric is a 3.8 kilometer swim, 180 kilometer bike ride, and then a uh, a little marathon to finish off the day. Blimey, it's amazing. Are there sort of cutoff times for each section or is it just when you can? Um, There are now, like I work, I actually, you know, I coach many Ironman athletes, many triathletes and ultra runners, and there are cutoff times for each each different things. I can't really, you know, each course has slightly different ones. Um, swim is usually around the two hour 20 mark, I think to cover that. Um, but there's a total cutoff of about 17 hours. Um, some races have shorter. There's a few different variables, but there's usually a 17 hour cutoff for the whole, the whole Ironman. And, you know, I've coached, you know, people in their seventies that have made cutoff, right. So, um, or, you know, by a long way. So, I think if people actually do the work, um, we could probably make the cutoff less than what it is. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, some unfortunately some people get into it and their focus is on making that cutoff rather focus on, you know, how can I be as good as I can be in each of the disciplines to not even have to worry about that. When you race the triathlons, how much training do you do on a daily or weekly basis? Well, that's a big question. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, what I what I coach on is life circumstances, right? Because you yeah, when when we didn't have a kid and, yeah, we came over here, my wife was contracted to race a bunch of races. Like we raced Ironman Canada here and then she was we, we had some races in, in Europe to race um, and then um, and then Ironman World Champ, which was amazing. Um, we could still work and coach and I had a distribution business in, you know, uh, recovery tools like foam rollers and stuff with trigger point therapy. A lot um, of balls to juggle. There, there, yeah. there was a lot, but that was, you know, in saying that, we still were able to train significantly because, you know, one, my wife was racing at as a professional. So, 
you know, there's money on the table and um Was that through know, sponsorship? It's through sponsorship yeah. and then yeah. race winnings and stuff like that. Okay. So um so you know, I got to to train more than than some people would. Um, I think when you're trying to race at a top level, there's a certain amount of volume and time that needs to be dedicated. Um, now I've seen it, it ruin families and you don't want that. So I look at life circumstances and go, okay, what can we, you know, what can we, let's look at your realistic week and what can we do there? Um, but I don't, you know, I see people going, Hey, I, you can do Ironman on eight hours a week. Yeah. You can finish it. You may complete it, but it's not going to be the most fun, right? But if you can be, you know, 10 to 12 hours consistently for a long time, um, fine. And if you want to be performing, it's 15 odd hours. We waste so much time on stuff that's inefficient or not needed. You know, social media is one thing, all right? How many people were just scrolling, scrolling? I don't have time. Well, if you got off that or the TV, then you could extract more time, all right? I, I remember doing, getting into my first ultra um, my first hundred miler I was training and, um, it was snowing. Um, my wife's dad was, um, you know, he had late stages, late stages Parkinson's and, um, you know, my wife went back over to the UK and, you know, so I'm there with a three-year-old three or no, what is he? Four or five, something like that. And I'm like, okay, I know that, you know, he's probably five. Um, how am I going to do my run? Yeah. I don't have a treadmill, uh, do that. Okay, well, we'll have a little big boy talk and, <laughs> and, you know, you could sit him in front of the television and I had a lap that was about five minutes around the street. Yeah. So I'd pop my head in every five minutes and I did that <laughs> for two and a half hours for a long run in the snow and, you know, came in, got him some food. Just, That's so funny. <laughs> it was like, okay. Great strategy you know, though. <laughs> yeah, but it was like, hey, how do I make this work? How can, yeah, how can I do gotta that? you got to think outside the box, don't you? For, for sure. There's, there's no, no such thing as perfect, right? It's just getting it done and um, being cool with that. So you went from a first-time Ironman split of 11.27 and you took that down to 8.75, which makes you a sub-nine-hour athlete. Um, what would you say the hardest part of any Ironman is and of the process? <laughs> so big question yeah, that, again. <laughs> yeah um that took some time and yeah. took some years and as i said took a lot of humbling by my wife that was the so it was 857 i was i that was the first time that i actually beat my wife um which kind of poo-pooed her day because <laughs> in a way because she won the race outright as a female like, she won the female race outright um but i only, guess that like, makes you the ultimate, ultimate power couple <laughs> yeah <there. laughs> um so that, so that was pretty cool but uh it it like honestly there was like you know i'd say uh, like so many people i'd committed to trying to get to hawaii but there was trying you know there was not like the yoda there is no try there is do <laughs> um and when i made when i swapped that and went no i'm absolutely committed and i'm going to do everything i took yeah. well then it changed things and i learned in a race um that you know i i know i mentally gave up and i still went the fastest i'd done but I mentally gave up and that was when I was still a 10, you know, in the 10 hours and I went just over 10 hours um, and I could justify all the excuses, but at the end of the day, I mentally gave up. And, but the beauty of that is because I'm in, people don't get that many chances per year to race them. But I was like, Hey, I'd signed up for another one in five weeks time. And which is a quick it. turnaround, but I had that, the, the benefit there was okay. Mentally, 
all you have to do is be mentally strong because physically, you know, you recover, then you can get back into training. So if you're mentally there to, to do this, you're good. But I took home that this race is mental. Like it's the swim, the bike pacing and stuff like that. I, let me tell you, I still made phenomenal mistakes in that next race. Um, but I had the mental chestnut then. And, you know, I did blow up on the run because I went out way too quick and I went through a hellish 12K in the middle there. And then I was able to just rally and be mentally strong and come back. And that I, you know, I ended up being what I thought was my potential. I became a 930s athlete and I ran down that finish shoot. I got, just before the finish shoot, I got sprinted down and that guy took the last spot in the age group for Hawaii. I think it was That's six. So seconds. frustrating. How did you fit in that moment? Was it like massive joy or frustration or a massive well, combination? <laughs> it was a combo, right? You, I was so stoked that I actually, you know, executed and, and did hit. Even though there were many mistakes, it was, it was okay, cool, I've got this. And, um, but there was such the knee-jerk reaction is like, oh, okay, so close and, and missed again. Um, and there was, you know, it was super frustrating. And then I, my wife, Charlotte, was contracted to race in the US um, not too long after. And so I'm like, okay, cool. I'm going to sign up for that race and do that. And I was like, and eventually, you know, I got back into training. I'm like, this is just stupid. I've got two businesses I've still got to look after <laughs> and support. And I'm just going to drive myself into the ground. So let's put all the focus on the race that I had signed up to at the end of the year, which was IMNWA, which I ended up going. 857 but funny on that story is i finished that race you know ridiculous um and i want to talk about visualization here in a sec okay to, to wrap this up but that i finished that and it was like wow you know my wife had won the race um i finished just after her even though i beat her on time because i started 15 minutes behind her um as an age grouper and you know so super stoked and then the next day, like I was like, okay, where do I come? Oh, I came fifth in my age group. There's three spots. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, <laughs> so I just got on like a ridiculously fast time, which, you know, back then not many people do in age group. And I was like, what do I have to do to get to Hawaii? <laughs> this is ridiculous. So I, I got a roll down. So two people in front of me didn't want to go. And so I got that and, that next then you have to pay on the spot and back then that was a lot of money um and we had to do it times two so my wife got one and but it was like ah uh, you know there's no way i'm throwing that away no yeah and that's um, what you've worked hard for as well so yeah and and that that was a huge huge year of just you know i went february or i think it was february or march i can't remember um oh, march mate march and did you know, like just over 10 hours. And then, you know, six weeks, five weeks later, I went 9.35 or 37 or something like that. And then that was, you know, April. And then in December, I went 8.57. And it was just like, wow, what a huge breakthrough. You were slicing off your time. And yeah, and it was like people asked me, because I worked my ass off before the event. Like, so I I had an expo booth with the products that we sold. So I'm, I'm hustling and working hard every day. I think I packed up late the night before the race and, and, and you're working with other athletes injuries and I had my own athletes there and, and the focus wasn't on me or my thoughts. It was just on, Hey, let's help these people see if they can still fix this niggle and this and whatever. And just, and, you know, trying to, trying to make a living. Right. And it was, 
it was, it was cool. Um, but it was like, so it didn't give me time, but people kept, you know, I had some people like, Oh, you know, you look like you're in good shape. What do you think? And I'm like, look, honestly, I believe I'm in low nine hour shape. That was it. And, um, but I had been doing some runs, which, you know, I kept quiet to myself that, you know, I, where I daydream and seeing, you know, eight, eight, something <laughs> on the clock, um, you know, in the eight fifties on the clock. That makes and it more I, tangible for you though, because you know what you're looking for. Yeah, but it was kind of weird. Like, it was like, you know, it was one of those pipe dreams where you're like, really, is this based in reality? And it was just me. I'd be on a run running down near Bondi Beach and you'd get these shivers when you saw that time and, you know, in your mind's eye when you're doing your last hard runs and stuff. And then it was so interesting. About about 10K to go of the race, I knew I was I was going under nine. There was no doubt in my mind. Nothing was going to stop me in that last 10K to do that. I'm on cloud nine. I know my wife. I've been – I haven't even – the whole run has been this roller coaster of emotion because I the run course is split. Like, you know, so you think I'd see my wife all the time, but because, you know, I'm running out one way and then she'd be down on the beach side. So it was a little gap. And sometimes I could see them in the distance and I'm like, who's that with the bike? Is that bike number one or bike number two? I couldn't, <laughs> couldn't tell. So I'm, my focus is just, I'm running my ass off, but I'm focused on, is she still leading or is she, has she been passed or is it this? And, because I knew so many people um, from doing the work and that, they, people were like, oh, she's still leading. And, uh, you know, it buoyed me up so much. So I got to that, you know, I remember passing two guys with, you know, the 10K to go and they're like, oh, you're looking awesome. I'm like, I'm so stoked. My wife is about to win the race and I'm going to go under nine. <laughs> and I just knew, but I turned into the finish shoot and it was just straight deja vu. I'm like, wow, I've been here before. This is crazy. What was going th- like? What was going through your head then? Just you knew this. This is what you kind of been picturing every night. I don't know. I think I, there were some few fuck years running down. That <laughs> I love it. Oh, uh, it was good. It was harder the following year to back that up. <laughs> so you went from being sort of a professional snowboarder to being a professional endurance athlete, and that was in a totally unrelated discipline. What kind of transferable attributes made that possible? Um, like what do you merit the success to there is it again is that just like the mental drive would you say um I think doing the work so I wasn't a professional endurance athlete um I just got to a good I'd say you'd call it elite age group um and yeah while I did beat some pro athletes in that sport like starting at 25 you know you're so way behind the eight ball and and there's no way um I even if i did put everything into training and nothing else. Yeah. I still think I would have been what I consider to be grade, you know, athlete at that. Um, especially in the sport of triathlon, some of those guys are just you know ridiculously fast and talented. But yeah, mindset really. It's doing the work. Um, we're having this. We're running with a friend on Sunday. Like I think we were probably one of the very few people on a twenty-eight centimeter powder day where we've got a long run. <laughs> running through, <laughs> um, but the lines were ridiculous, and it was just like, "Hey, we're going for a run." But we're talking about um, passion, and you know, and people believe it just takes passion to succeed. And yeah, you know, we're all passionate about things, yeah. but you can be passionate and not get paid, you know, or not make it your life or whatever. But I think you need to be somewhat obsessed to really make it to that next level. Amazing. And I think that comes down to it's it's not compromising, um, especially on the little things. And you, 
you got to do things when you don't want to do them. And usually that's when you don't feel like doing them. Like, oh, I'd rather sleep in, which is a simple one we all know. But it's like how many times in the moment do we kind of settle? And it's pushing back against that wanting to settle and to lean into the discomfort um, that will take us way further than we may believe. So in 2014, you moved from Australia over to Whistler. And since that time, you've got into sort of trail running, ultra races. You've completed 100 mile and 100 kilometer mountain races, done triathlons, Ironman, sub nine hour races, lots of like bike rides around sort of South Africa and the Dolomites. What's your favorite sport? Well, that's a tough one. <laughs> I don't think I do. I, I'm sitting in winter now and everyone loves winter, but I'm dying for summer to come back. <laughs> well, because um, you're in a mountain with snow. Yeah, like, and, and honestly, last week, you know, a lot of the huts here are closed. Um, but thankfully, one of my mates here is a he's a um, custodian of the new Keys and Clare hut, which is out the backcountry of Whistler. So we got to spend three days of R&R up there. And behind that, there's a big mountain, um, Fissile, uh, which has a few, quite a number of uh, what would say spicy ski runs on it. Spicy, um, I like that. <laughs> Great and, um, and they're good. So, you know, we've lucked out like last year and and on the backside of that where it's all wind scoured, I got lucky and unlucky a couple of years ago and got caught in an avalanche on it. Wow, um, by making scary. a mistake. And it was very scary and um, I don't want to have that experience again. So each time I go up there, it's like, you know, and dropping into these big faces. Um, but we got, I've had it twice now in phenomenal conditions. And the actual skiing part is, is, um, is awesome. The actual getting to it these days is like it's a wind scoured boot pack for most of it. And that, that's, that's got some sporty spice to it for sure. Cause <laughs> it's, um, uh, it's a dome four zone, but you know, Little things like that is fun. Um, I enjoy that. I ski more than I snowboard these days. Uh, and I enjoy the big mountain challenges and I love being in the backcountry. Good. But summer is um, like I love mountain biking. Nothing fills my soul more than mountain biking with my son. Whistler is perfect you know, got, for that. Gosh. We've got, we've got the bike park. And, you know, while he's really good on there, he's a young kid that can maybe the endurance genes pass off. Um, and, you know, maybe being a bit hard sometimes, but he will climb anything. And now I, I can ride pretty much everything with him. Double black diet. Like he's actually, I'm not very soon. Like he's better than me already on a bike. That's um, so good. There's, some things, there's some things I will do that he won't do yet at the moment. Um, but there's things he will do in special when it comes to some big jumps and stuff that I won't do. But that, you know, fills my heart so much. Um, but then, you know, there's, I just like being able to do the things so I can go mountain biking, whether it's with my son, my wife or my friends and get after it and get that, you know, just touch that adrenaline um, because I don't get that from ultra running. But what I do get from ultra running is being on the trails and being, you know, absorbed in all of that um, and getting into the Alpine is just, you know, something special, whether it's on a bike or running or whatever. So, yeah, those are, I, I love those two sports. I like bikepacking too. And I have some quite the few adventures planned for uh, this year. And um, BC is like this this place uh, where we have so much. And I have a new 
a new uh, a new hobby as well, which I started getting into at the end of uh, last year, and um, looking forward to it this year. What's the new hobby? It's hunting. Oh wow! That's like so, again, it'd be a great place like to do that over in Whistler. It's it's, it's because like Narnia it seems, over there. Yeah, it ticks so many things, and I never thought I'd. Yeah, I grew up in a city like this. This, you know, and I was so green, I didn't realize any. I thought they're all rednecks and they people that just like to shoot animals and stuff. And when you learn and look at stuff, like they're some of the biggest conservationists or are the major conservation, put most of the funds into conservation. Um, and then that whole aspect of, you know, how much you respect where your food comes from. And um, I have a great friend and mentor here. And, um, but it also feels that, you know, there's that side of providing food and, and learning and, and respecting it all, but there's suffering as well. <laughs> and, um, you know, to some of these hunts is just like we carried, we weren't far from the highway, but it was, you know, a two hour hike in snow. And then, you know, when we were successful, it was a few hours of field dressing. And then it was a three hour hike down double black bike terrain in the snow and, and not enough snow that it like, you know, you could put your foot under fallen logs or whatever with a hundred pounds each on our back. It was three hours to cover a mile. And it was just like, wow. And then, you know, you can do sheep or goat hunts high in the Alpine. And, um, you know, so there's, there's, it ticks quite a few boxes, but, um, so I'm looking forward to that, which will be the end of the year. Most, most of that stuff happens in four. Um, however, you know, there's lots of things we're going to be doing before then, which, you know, I'm, kind of bubbling with excitement over. Good. There's actually one of your adventures that I wanted to ask you about. Um, I think you. I think it was when you did a 24.5 hour mountain hundred miler and on this journey you got hypothermia. What mm. was the story of how that happened? That was my first hundred miler. Yeah. Um, and so remember I said just before, I said decide, commit, act in a way. Um, one of my decisions on that was... Um, I had three main decisions on there that I wasn't going to be an asshole to anyone and definitely not my wife and my crew. Um, uh, and, you know, I wasn't going to quit. No way I was going to quit unless medical pulled me off or I broke a bone and I couldn't continue. That was, that was it. That were my, that was my decision. And, um, I knew I was in pretty good shape. You know, I, tra- I get to train in the mountains uh, per se, and I chose a really tough one in Mon- Wyoming and Montana. And yeah, what happened was basically, if the support crew hit every support station, it would have probably taken about sixteen to eighteen hours of driving wow. and being there. So it was impossible to do that. So we chose some strategically. You know, we we drove down to Wyoming from Whistler, so we got a you know a Tacoma truck and. So I can get places, and one of the one of the places you had they had to, yeah, it'd be fine if it was me, but my wife hadn't done that before. But it was you know some a little not crazy four wheel driving, but she had to go through a couple of creeks and a few things, and then park about a mile away from where that crew station, crew aid station was. Um, and I was moving a little bit better than I expected, and I got through to there, and they weren't there. And after waiting for a few minutes, I was like, oh, I just got to keep going. And, you know, I got some extra salt from the aid station and, and kept going. Um, unfortunately, I didn't get jackets and stuff that I needed. And as we ran to, you know, up into, I think we, what did we top out at around 9,000 feet? So it's in summer though. It's in 
June and we got we got started running into a snowstorm. Oh gosh. And How are you it, feeling? This was were you really scared? <laughs> no, it was okay. It was just keep pushing. You know, a kid a kid run past me without a shirt on. And I'm like, <laughs> you, I didn't see him again. I think he, he definitely did not finish. Um and because when you're up, you know, you're up. I went through a long, bad point on the way up and these people passing me. And then, you know, I got to the point where I was just shaking. Anyway, at the turnaround, because it was, it was a turnaround course. So I got up there, got into this big tent um, and absolutely shaking. But it was really cool. I met this uh, couple on the start line and she was supporting her husband. And um, she got to there and she's like, don't worry, it's all okay. They missed you, but you've got gear here. I'm going to help you. And I'm nice. like, okay, cool. She got, she <laughs> got there in a, she got in a rental car and somehow got there and her, her partner was hours behind me in the end. And I'm like, ah, this, this person's a champion. And I end up <laughs> snuggling up to the next, a guy who's in a sleeping bag um, for a bit to try and get warm. They had heaters in there. And I just, I spent about 35 minutes in there and I didn't want to do that. And I got to a point where, Hey, I'm, I've changed clothes. I'm, I'm warm enough. Um, but now all these, and I'm competitive and all these people start <laughs> rolling in. It's just so frustrating. And, and I was just like, I've just got to get out of here. And they're like, you sure? I'm like, yep, I'm just, I'm good. I'm going to get out of here. Smash it. Um, but the, the, the thing, like mentally I was like, it was really hard that time when I was going through a bad patch and getting cold, but it was also like, did they have an accident? Cause they had to drive such a long way or are they okay mm-hmm. or whatever. So instead of being, you know, I got to, I, you know, it was like, at first it was like, oh shit, I've missed my gear, but I'd made that decision. I'm not going to be an asshole, um, no matter what. And, you know, then I'm more into, you know, instead of thinking about me, I'm like worried about them. Um, so, and they didn't know. So usually you check in, check out. Someone missed my checkout. So they didn't know that I was coming back. And that's where I was going to pick. They, they didn't have to leave that crew station because I was running back through there a very long time later. And that's where I'd pick up, um, my first uh, or my one and only um, pacer, uh, a friend who, who she drove from California to come and do that with us. Oh, and she's one of, she was one of my athletes at the time. So I'm running down. But the, the interesting part of this is like running up, like you're running up through mud and it's horrible. Like I knew I had some intel before. It's like people get to that crew the halfway and change their shoes. Don't. Just stick with your shoes until you get back through that. That's because interesting. You're running, you're running through all that you're just going to change into brand new shoes and socks and be just back in the mud as again. well. Yeah. Right. So, but it was interesting trying on the way up to try and miss the mud and you run like it was, it was one of two evils, either running through the mud or trying to run through on the tundra and grass, which was so wet and just icy that you're freezing anyway. And then, but it was interesting. I ran out of that tent. Yeah. I ran out of that tent and I was like, Oh, my legs feel amazing game on and I and it was slightly downhill then and I just went well okay give it to yourself and I passed all these people that were flying past me um and then it, it, it was just great and uh so you know got through that got picked up you know saw them when I got back there it was through the night you know and then I uh you know picked up my pacer and um you know, straight out of that one was we had an hour hike up this steep thing and I'm like, thank God we're here early because this thing is just going to become this muddy chute for people to get up. <laughs> um, and it was great. But that I also had a standoff with a moose at about 20, 20 odd, 22 hours in. You're going to have it to explain was, that for me. <laughs> so a, 
a moose is a huge animal. <laughs> and we run in, we run with bears, like there's bears and whatever around Whistler. I got no problem with bears, but moose I have no experience with. That's it was hilarious. a, it was a uh, cow, so a female. And I'm like, and I'm, I'm power hiking up this slope and there's nothing there except too tiny, like a Jeep track and tundra. There's nowhere I can run and hide. I'm going up a steep hill and there's this moose not that far and she's grunting at me. Oh, gosh. And I'm like, fuck, uh, just stay there, please. <laughs> and I'm like, and I remember the story, like the race director at the start said, well, you know, a couple of years ago, our leader got charged by a moose. He was playing run around the tree and then he got hit by the moose and then eventually got away and got hit again and ran around another tree and watered him off. I'm like, well, there's no fucking trees. And I bet that's just <laughs> all floating through your head just then. Yeah. And I'm like, gosh. And this thing is just, just grunting at me. And I'm like, oh, because if they've got young around, those things can be super dangerous. Yeah, because they're, def- they're going to defend their infants, def- aren't they? Defend- and they're big animals. And um and I, I just was just like super slow and just kept an eye on it and like, hey, it's okay, just just chill. <laughs> and I got, I crested that hill, and I can tell you, I ran my fastest mile I've ever ran after the others. Other Thank side God of that. it didn't bolt and charge after you. They <laughs> yeah. were sure they'd be able to run pretty fast. <laughs> That's yeah. terrifying. But you go through so many emotions on a day. Yeah, it was awesome. Have you had any other sort of freak incidences with Mother Nature, either elements or wildlife throughout your experience? Or is that like that compares with that one? I, I've i got celiac and I turned that gene on in, what was it, 2000 and, oh, gee, when was it? 2013, I believe. And, yeah, since then I get way colder than normally. So that's why I'm missing that jacket. Um you know, I now have a shake dry jacket, which is like the Gore-Tex shake dry is the best freaking material and jacket you can get breeds and never get. I ran in the 110 K here through the mountains in a lot of rain um, and even a snow. And um, unfortunately Gore is stopping that material for some reason. It's too hard to make, even though it's their best, you know, best material, best on the environment and everything. Um, they reckon need it's to just have too a word hard. with them about that <laughs> or sign a petition or something. Yeah, no, that's, that's the thing is like when people like you buy good or you buy twice. We bought yeah. two two jackets, two Arcterix jackets because we didn't want to spend 450 each on a jacket. So we spent 250 each on a jacket and then went and turned around and spent 450 each on a jacket because – and best – best decision we ever made the thing is gold um and a bunch of companies make them but um yeah i haven't i haven't had any real you know bears here are pretty tolerable i think it's going to happen more with hunting maybe Um, well yeah christ so um but yeah no, no you definitely have wild imagination running through the night in some some places oh i i did on a training run i ran into the biggest black bear i've ever seen i and, and, and it was on the island, so we're, we're actually mountain biking, but I, you know, I was training for something. So I went for a run and we're camping. And so I got up super early, didn't tell anyone where I was going. And I'm like, hey, there's this other bike trail that we didn't see. So I'm running up this deactivated forest, you know, a logging road, which deactivated means nature is taking it back. And then it just gets smaller and smaller and I'm bushwhacking through trees. I can kind of see the trail up until I find the actual bike trail. I was like, oh, this is rad. I'm running down there. I need to have my dog with me. And then I just hear this noise thing. Uh, yeah, I stopped. Yeah, it was only probably 30 odd feet away. So it's still far enough, but oh my God, this yeah. thing is huge. And Jesus. I was like, 
you know, dog, yeah, and I grabbed my dog and then I was just like, heart rate, heart rate. The thing eventually, you know, thankfully got scared and went the other way. But That's yeah. lucky. <laughs> so like, just imagine the dog barking loads and I don't know what that would do to a bear <laughs> to trigger yeah. them. This, this is an area which it wouldn't have the same, you know, it probably doesn't have the same human interaction as, say, like the black bears that we have in Whistler. Okay. That are just used to. Yeah. So you don't know. But, yeah, other than that, like I'll run past bears here. I'm not, you know, I'll give them respect. But My little sister goes to school in Canada, um, in sort of Vancouver, on Vancouver Island, and I think they had to close down the school for the day because they had a wild cat in their playground. I think it was yeah. like a cougar or something. And it's yeah. like, oh, there's a cougar in the swing. So, like, yeah. we're just not going to go into <laughs> today. <laughs> just looking out the window here it hasn't happened in a while but we had a uh we had a uh, what was it a bobcat walk up the road <laughs> cute <laughs> they're so cute the um but we you know we got bobcats coyotes around um, for, uh, um unfortunately and hopefully i haven't heard um how he is but one of my son's teachers previous teachers they live just between whistler and pemberton um in the soup valley so they live in wilderness um but he um her her husband 65 got attacked by a cougar in his uh in his yard last week um that's terrifying so around super terrifying so you mentioned sort of your diet um and being diagnosed with celiac disease uh, what kind of difference has that made to your own personal nutrition planning um as an athlete i can imagine that was a bit of a game changer it's a huge game changer um finding out about that just before heading to the dolomites um <laughs> to ride 2000k over 10 days um was like oh shit i'm going to the land of pasta and bread how am i going to survive this um but funnily enough that's one of the best places in the world to be a celiac um they have so many options but it was you know what it's good it gets it it just it's been good and bad like you know good in terms of you know you eat really well um bad getting cross contaminated and stuff so some things are a lot harder um but you just, you know, really, if you're eating a lot of good veg and protein and, you know, um, I've now perfected a gluten-free sourdough bread, um, which is awesome. So I have my own gluten-free sourdough starter. And uh, actually, I've got some bread to make after this conversation to put in the oven. Um, so it's, it's, it's definitely been a learning process and one where, you know, you can talk about, hey, being obsessed with endurance sports and doing that and, and pushing it too far. Um, and not coming back and being a negative. And I think, you know, I definitely went down that, hey, gluten-free way too, you know, very far one direction on the pendulum must be like this. And uh, and then, you know, you bring it back and over time get that resiliency back. And, you know, we eat super well as a family and make sure that we're getting all the, the good nutrients. And, you know, we, have, we still have, like, talk about the bread. We also make every Friday night. So every Thursday I start the process, but every Friday night we have uh, sourdough gluten-free pizzas that we make ourselves. I can't go and buy another pizza now because they're so damn good. It's um, fun doing that though as well. Yeah. Like doing it homemade is a great activity with the family. Yeah. It, it's awesome. And, you know, teaching our, I think if there's any skill set, and especially as an athlete that you need is knowing how to cook. Um, it's not difficult, but knowing how to cook good food and knowing um, it's, it's a huge part of um, performance. And, you know, I, I know a lot of people get away with it, but the question is you get away with it until you don't, right? So, you know, we, I don't believe we need as much sugar and highly refined foods as we're being sold on as athletes and we need more good fats. And, um, you know, you brought that balance word up and there, there needs to be a balance, Um 
to eat good food and it's not it's coming in and you know going hey what does what does this you know essential race car need right now it needs good fuel and um you know it's not hard and, and good fuel tastes good yeah three sort of knowledge and research there's actually been quite a growing shift of interest into sort of like nutrition and fitness science in more recent years um it's more fine-tuned in your role as a performance enhancement coach do you think that the teachings and trainings you practice would be widely different say if it was like 40 years ago or do you think there's like good reach across it all I, I don't think you can dismiss what people were doing 30 40 or even more years ago um you know there's so much lessons and you know, what i think you've got to take from them as they performed with simplicity and we've got so much noise now and people believe we need all this extra data and this and that whatever and we don't we need to become more intuitive and i think because of that noise we've lost it lost the art to become intuitive like when people we like, get oh, what blinded hard by mean? it yeah what does hard mean or well, people don't know how to go easy what is easy and you're like ah oh, this is this should be simple um and you kind of need to reset that whole guideline and get people to kind of ditch their technology for a bit just so you can learn to listen into what your body's telling you. Um, and it's pretty powerful. Like we're our own best heart rate monitor, we're our own best power meter, um, but people need to, to buy into that and it's really tough for them to do. Yeah, makes sense. Um, I also wanted to quickly touch on your business, Endurance Specific, and about sort of the coaching you do with your athletes. Mm-hmm. Um, is there like a go-to exercise or piece of advice that you think that you use like quite far and wide? Suspend disbelief. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, it is. It's it's that. Like, where where do people come from? Where are they coming from? What are they bringing to the table? I think when people get a coach, and everyone should, right? I've you know, early on, there was no coaching in snowboarding. I wish there was. I would have had like, yeah, there's snowboard instructors and stuff like that. But I got on a board and was able to ride. If you look at high performance snowboarders or skiers now, they all have coaches. I look at, I look at my son's been here since he was three years old. He's had bike and ski coaches and snowboard coaches since then. Um, and it's definitely representative of why he's good. Yes, he has genetics, but that's improved upon because of the coaching. Um, you know, I, I'm a coach, endurance coach. I've used other triathlon coaches. I've used, you know, when I got into ultra I could have got through there myself. Maybe I would have done too much. You know, I, I researched and then, you know, reached out to a, you know, a prominent coach and was coached for a couple of years. I was coached last year by a, a mountain bike coach, completely different, like still in strength, more in strength and conditioning, recovering from a, a uh, dislocated and fractured shoulder um, from biking. So I always do that. And I've just employed another coach uh, for this one because I'm writing a book. So I believe in the benefit of coaching and, and using a coach because they can teach you um, on, I'm never going to know it all and, and far from it. And, you know, what gels with athletes and me may not be for some people and may be for other people. Right. So I think the thing is, is really understanding what both parties bring to the table. Um, because I have to, I ask myself the question, like is a significant investment for the writer, for the book coach. And I was like, okay, am, am I, am I worth the investment in me? Not the investment that I put to the coach. Yes. I'm paying him the money, but 
I have to respect the investment that I'm making into myself. Yeah, and I do, like that. do that with my, uh, you know, are you going to make, so, uh, you know, a question I can ask, a, you know, a potential athlete working with me, are you going to make the investment worth it to you? Because when both teams come together, you know, and take time and the relationship builds, you know, great things can happen. Yeah. Communication is a big thing. It's, that's, that's the one thing I'd say is um, if there's one, you know, bit of advice is communicate. Um, I, I'm anal about post-activity comments versus data. Yes, the data is important, but it only shows such a small insight into what the training session is or whatever it is. But how, how do you feel? You know, you know, did you, what did you learn from it? Hey, I felt really tired, but the session got better and better. It was one of my best evers. And it's like, great, because what you just learned is, hey, you had some maybe unmetabolized waste products still in the body and you cleared those out early by not rushing performance, really taking it easy and doing that warm up and getting through there. And then all of a sudden, hey, the pipes got cleared and things came good. Now you've gained consistency and guess what? You're mentally better for it because you've just learned a very valuable lesson because not all days racing are going to be great days, but it doesn't mean performance is not going to be great. It just means it's going to feel painful, but you can still perform. And that's a like huge that. lesson. Um, you talked about sort of your coaching. What's like one of, what's like a hurdle or one of the most common hurdles you cross with your clients? Self-belief. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's, we it's let so little, real. It is. It's so real, and and it's and it's difficult to do the inner work, right? It's it, people. Yeah, you can do all the hard work you want, but if you if you don't believe in yourself, um, and and unfortunately, other people outsource all this. They want other people to believe in them first, to then believe in themselves, and you, it doesn't work. You have to, but you have to. You know, you have a have a look at yourself in the mirror, and you're like, hey, be be accountable to yourself and be like, Hey, yeah. Okay. I let myself down there. You know, I missed once, maybe don't miss twice or just go, Hey, you know, have that inner reflection and go, what do I need to work on? Do I, cause every time you quit or do something, you, it gets easier to do each time. But when we need to, to get stronger and I always say this, cause everyone's like, Oh, what book can I read about mental strength and, and developing my mental performance? I'm like, well, there's plenty of books out there, but they aren't going to help you. They might give you some tactics or ideas, but the way to get mentally tough is in the moment when you have the decision to make. I can either settle or I can push through. I can quit or I can push through. And, um, yeah, I love this analogy by uh, Goggins again as he has his cookie jar thing. We all have a cookie jar of past successes. So, you know, fill that cookie jar with, I think about some of those things, those times, whether it's a session or something else you did well or whatever that you can pull that cookie jar, pull that cookie from the cookie jar and go, hey, in this moment right now when everything's just tough and I want to get comfortable and quit, what can you put, what cookie can you pull to prove to that other voice, that negative voice that no, you're strong enough and you can push through there. And every time you push through, you kind of sharpen that sword and you become more mentally tough. And, you know, I have this, I have this absolute kind of unbreakable belief now that I, I, I have this absolute monster when it comes to the last 30 K of whether it's a hundred K or a hundred miler or whatever, um, that all of us, I, I could have gone through, you know, I, in my last hundred K, I went through a bad patch with, with my stomach, with celiac and, you know, it, really did my head in and then I came to a point of a question and I just went, you know what, go for it. What, what can I do? And, and pushed hard. And in a hundred, 
hundred miler, my last hundred miler in um, in California, I was running. I think I was in uh, I don't know eleventh or twelfth spot, and um, I'm running to one of the last crew stations in the dark, and I could see in the distance behind me headlights appearing, and I hadn't seen anyone for so so many hours. And I'm like, I was getting really annoyed. And anyway, this one cruise, the last cruise station, you ran down into this drainage um, and the cruise station was set up there. And then you'd turn around and run back out of this, this fork drainage. And as I sat down, I heard the bells coming and a guy coming down and I was like, shit. And then, so I got out of there before he did. And then as I was running up, another guy comes down and then I could see another headlamp coming. And I'm like, oh, well. You know, and I, I was ready to go, uh, you know, it doesn't matter. And I did say it to myself. I'm like, Christian, it really, what's the difference? 12th, 13th, 14th, who cares? doesn't matter. So, I, uh, you know, I, the, the beauty was I accepted that. I'm like, you know what? It doesn't matter. But what does matter is not giving my absolute best from here to the finish. And it was about yeah. 32K. It's just a number at the end of the day. What counts yeah. is how you drive it yourself and how you feel about it. Inside. And I And I just, I literally just, gave it to myself. It was Good. so uncomfortable. And guess what? The headlamps disappeared. <laughs> and then I got to, then I was like, oh, I'm, I'm pretty comfortable. They're gone. And then I'm looking at the time. I'm like, Hey, I can break 19 hours here. That's, that's, Oh, that's a good goal. And then I just kept charging. And then, and then you could see the finish. It was like around this bay, but it was so far away. And I'm like, just keep pushing, just keep pushing. And then like, oh, where did that hill come? I forgot about it because this, this was like a lolly, a lollipop course. So I'm back on the out and back section of the finish. And I'm like, I don't remember this hill and whatever. And I, I remember getting that. It ended up being the last hill, but I didn't realize it at the time. And I'm like, and I, did, and I congratulated myself, which I think is an important thing. I'm like, good work, Christian. I doubt you're going to make it under 19, but good, good work for giving it a good go. And I crested that hill and I'm like, oh, I'm like 400 meters away. Boom, go. Um, and I broke it by a few minutes, but I was like, I think there's a, there's an important part here. You can, you, my legs were so trashed, but I ended up running so well. I, you know, every single one of my ultras, I've done that. I ran down six place here in the 110 K with two K to go. I hadn't seen him for hours and thought he was gone. Um, and after dealing with a lot of pain, you just, you, you get into this point and then you're like, okay, well, yeah, everything hurts. So what? Is this the best I've got? And then keep going and em- embrace it, lean into it. And you know what? <laughs> if you want to get rid of the pain, just get there, get to the end quicker. <laughs> and, um, and, but I think there's a, there's a subconscious psychological impact of congratulating yourself when you do a good job, whether it's in your session or whatever, because subconsciously your mind takes that and goes, awesome, I'm appreciated. Yeah. Right, you know, rather than the typical negative self-talk, and you know that inner talk is so important. And and now, like I have this such a strong belief that it doesn't matter. It's I'm gonna be I'm gonna be able to crush the back end of that race. Excellent. So, I wanted to actually touch on the notion that you don't need a race in order to train, and how after races, a lot of people sometimes sort of give up their hard work just because the race is over. Do you think the mindset around training and like uh, training goals in general needs to shift? Is that like a common thing you've come across with people? I think so. And that's only come from from learning and, and understanding myself and whatever. And COVID has made that so real. 
you know, events just got completely wiped. Like I own two events, can't run them. Um, you know, I work for Ironman, couldn't do that. Um, I couldn't race the races I signed up for. Um, there were those things. And then you're like, but is that all I'm training for? You know, I got a 10-year-old. I want to be able to do shit with him when he's crushing me, but I still <laughs> want to be able to do it. I want to keep this stuff in joy. I want to be able to run. I want to be able to hike. I want to be able to bike. And that is, the event is life Real at the end of the day. It's like, hey, I enjoy all these things. And to enjoy these things more that requires daily training. Um, yeah, yeah, sure, recovery. Like, you know, I don't train seven days a week, but I do have, a, you know, I have a, re- a day off. Um, and sometimes I do train seven days, like, or I might go skate, you know, whatever. It doesn't matter. But the thing is, is like, hey, th- that event is life because I see so many people each year, they get into it, you know, they love this sport. Let's, let's say it's mountain biking. And they just suffer so much to climb and then have their fun little part of going downhill and, and they suffer again. And they're like, Oh, if only I was fit. And it's like, well, what's your excuse? Do it. <laughs> Just be fit. And guess, guess what? If you get like, you get up there, you're not as taxed. It's more fun on the way down. Um, and, and I, I liken this now, especially in the winter with backcountry and it's becoming huge is it's safer because if you're absolutely gassed by the time you're, you've skinned out into the backcountry. Well, what's your decision, decision-making skills like when you're completely shelled? So, you know, there, there's that side to it. And I think we define ourselves like, I'll define myself as an athlete for the rest of my life. You know, I'm an athlete, that's it. And ebbs and flows. Hey, if I'm not, I'm not a triathlete, I'm not a, you know, a, a mountain biker or a cyclist or a skier or whatever. I'm this, this, you know, I call it a multi-sport person um, that, you know, is uplifting because I can do a lot of things. Um, but it means, you know, and focuses change. So, you know, right now I run a lot. I do some skinning. I do strength work multiple times a week. And, you know, but I run or like, hey, I went in the backcountry for three days last week. Well, I obviously didn't run, but I did a lot of skinning. Um, you know, in, when it comes to, you know, summer, I'm going to, it's it's a mix of biking, you know, running, whatever. Um, and now like, you know, so making that decision on, um, I know I could be a very decent ultra runner. Um, and, and I can say that without ego, you know, I've done enough in, you know, top tens to just over 10 and stuff like that with, with the life circumstances I have. However, I, I made the decision that that it, it's just a number because what's more important is, hey, I don't want to compromise the time that I get to have with my son while he's growing up. So I don't yet, yeah, I can still race. And because I know what it will take to go that next step. And to do that and that compromise with going riding, doing these other things. Yeah, you know, putting yourself maybe a more poten- potential of getting injured because of the type of mountain biking I like to do. I'm willing to have that risk and enjoy that so I can enjoy the time with my son and, and still run to the best of my ability. Now that's not taking a like a you know a compromise or settling. I'm still going to give it everything I've got um, when I line up. However, I look at it as going, hey, I, I'm way more balanced when I can go and have fun 
with my son. So if it came down to the point, it's either going riding with my son or get that long run in, I'm going to go riding with my son. Nice. Good. I love that. Um, wanted to take the opportunity to also touch base on your podcast, the Endurance Specific Podcast. What inspired the launch of that? So before that, it was called, I, I'd been podcasting for five years um, and I stopped for about 18 months. Was it a then, different podcast before? Uh, it, it's still under the same theme and ideal, but it was called uh, the Politically Incorrect Now, the Fat Black Podcast. <laughs> and it had, nothing, it had nothing to do with people of colour and nothing to do with being fat. <laughs> um, what it did have was in Australia, um, our, our, the coffee that I would have was called a long black coffee. Right? It's short black or long black. That's just what they were called, right? And, um, and that was that. So then celiac happened and, yeah, so I'm in, I'm in the Dolomites and I'm riding with my South African friend and uh, Roel and uh, I've run out of food that I could have before our riding sessions and, Unfortunately, like while I could eat most of the food, like at dinners and, and the, the Sonkholz crew had gone out of their way to provide my own little bucket of food um, at support stations and stuff, the breakfasts at the places that we'd stop each time were, you know, just serving typical Western you know, cereals and breads and stuff like that. And I just couldn't do it. And, you know, I had some shakes at first. I ran out of those and I'm like, oh, what the hell am I going to do? Um, to fuel me and my buddy's like just put that butter there in your coffee and stir it. And it, this is before bulletproof coffee and like properly came in and all that stuff and anyway i had it and i was like wow it tastes all right and damn i feel good and you know i had a good ride and i've been doing it ever since and you know i added fat to my black coffee so it became the fat black coffee so and it got to a point where i was like I, i'm just sick of having to tell people why it's called this yeah. um but it was it was about that so you know <laughs> with the celiac, name yeah and um so when i brought it back i was like well we'll just call it something more that hey it's, people understand what what the topic is about um so it, you know it's it's about all things endurance um for all endurance sports and you know my wife and i are doing you know a series at the man the moment as you know no no bs guide to to getting good and um all the things that you know, I know um, through all these years of doing it, what it takes to to kind of level up and get to as good as you can be um, with your life circumstances, and you know, and we just chat and and I have different guests on and different people that are doing cool things and and just going, hey, you know, what challenges are out there? What can people suspend disbelief, or how can they grow here, and how can they be better? And the idea at the end of the day is the lessons we learn from our endurance endeavors, um, transfer positively over to other areas of our, our life. Um, and that's the major goal. Amazing. So how can people tune in from home? What's your website? So endurancespecific.com is the website and you can find everything from there. Um, Endurance Specific um, on Instagram um, or Christian with a K, um, K-R-I-S-T-I-A-N, Manietta, M-A-N-I-E-T-T-A. So at Christian Manietta on, that's my personal one on Instagram. Um, I am, and that's pretty much it. The, the podcast can be found on, you know, iTunes, Spotify, all the regulars. And, 
yeah, I'm not on Facebook anymore. I made a decision not to be on and really limit my, my social media. So I probably only check into Instagram now once or twice a week. Cool. Um, and, we'll, and we'll post on there. Um, and the podcast goes out usually, it's weekly or bi-weekly. Um, yeah, I've, I've been through the whole two times a week stress or, you know, making that commitment. And I'd rather have good content now and things I'm really, really excited to talk about than just, you know, wasting people's time. More time out on adventures too that way. Oh, absolutely. And is there anything else on your bucket list that you haven't ticked off yet? <sighs> it's a big one. <laughs> <laughs> I laughed at this question with my wife. She's like, <laughs> how much time is there? Your bucket list is overfilling. Do a podcast um, on that in itself. Yeah. Oh, there's, there's, there's so many things because one, one adventure leads to another. Like, you know, I did it, you know, I did a bike Everest thing years ago because after meeting that, you know, Andy Van Bergen, who started all this craziness. And then, you know, last summer I eventually got to do my run Everest thing on the ascent trail here. And, and then you're like, Oh, a mountain bike Everest thing or a gravel Everest. Oh, this, that means there's a duathlon, duathlon Everest thing, um, for craziness, but yeah, yeah. Getting into hunting, like going on a, on a 10 day goat or sheep hunt is now high up there because it meets so many of their criteria. Um, I've got a, west coast we're filming the west coast trail and wanda trail so two of them most people do you know five or seven day hike on west coast trail 70ks it's a challenging trail on the on the island here um me and a buddy or two buddies we're filming it um we're aiming you know around the 24 hour mark it'll be over because we're filming uh, but both of those in one day so it'll be 130 odd kilometers um to do that, um, a good five-day bikepacking trip. Then my wife and I are looking at a Sun Sunshine Coast Trail hut-to-hut mission running, which is 180K over a bunch of days. That sounds um, lovely. So there's, there's lots. And, yeah. You know, if there was a performance or a race bucket list goal, it's still Western States, still doing the things to continue to keep my foot in the lottery. Um, you know, so... Outside of that, it's just what adventures that I can do, um, more stuff with my son as well. Uh, so there's lots. There's too many. They all, most of those bucket list things are all to do with some level of suffering and endurance. Yeah. Well, good luck and keep visualizing them because then they'll happen. I will. Well, thank you, Becky. Thank you for joining me on the podcast. It's been a pleasure to talk to you, Christian. You too. Thanks so much. Thinking of Peace is brought to you by Maybe Ski a Whistler-based adventure ski company creating bucket list ski trips across the globe. If you're looking to get off the beaten track and away from the crowds, head over to maybeski.com to discover what lies beyond your lift pass.